Luke 2, 1 to 18. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favour rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A very good morning, church. The Lord be with you on this Christmas day. Now, today is also the Lord's day, and there is therefore a double celebration this morning. We celebrate our Saviour's birth, and we celebrate His resurrection as well. And so we will have the Lord's Supper, as Mark has said. Uh, We'll have the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and we invite all who profess Jesus as Lord and Saviour to join in the Holy Communion. Now, Maylin and I wish all of you a blessed Christmas. Uh, If you are visiting us this morning, let me extend a very warm welcome to you. And please stay back for the Christmas lunch that we have prepared after the service. And we want to thank all the people who have generously organized the spread of delicious food uh, for us to feast on. Now, may this Christmas Day bring you joy and peace that transcends all our fears of the old year. And may it fill you with hope of a new world to come as we look forward to the return of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus the Messiah is the Saviour King who came into the world 2,000 years ago to solve the problem of sin. 
And He will come again to restore this broken world into the paradise it is supposed to be. The Messiah is therefore not only the hope of Israel, it's not only the hope of the church, but it is also the hope for all humanity. So this morning, it is fitting that we reflect on this universal hope by looking into Luke's account of the birth of Jesus that has been read to us by Val. Now, you probably have heard the birth account before. You have heard it again and again at each Advent season leading into Christmas. But I pray that you will never get tired of hearing it. And I hope the birth account will continue to encourage you to deepen your love for Jesus and also to strengthen your faith to know that God always keeps His good promises to us. I have therefore entitled this morning's sermon, The Promised Child. Now, I, I realize that the idea of a promised child, a special, a special child who is born to do great things, uh, is actually a common theme in many ancient stories around the world. For example, Augustus Caesar was said to be a promised child to bring peace and prosperity to the Roman Empire. Now, even today, this theme is portrayed in the epic series of Harry Potter and Star Wars. Now, you may remember that in the Star Wars series, there is this Jedi prophecy of the Chosen One, a special Jedi child born to bring balance to the Force. Now, you may not know this, but all the epic stories of a Chosen One ancient or modern, they are actually copies, copies of the original story in the Bible. You see, the Bible is actually the true story of a promised child. And the story begins in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. After God had created the earth and everything in it, he made Adam and Eve in his image. And Adam and Eve were blissful in paradise. They enjoyed life fully in the presence of God in the Garden of Eden. Then came a serpent who told them if they ate the forbidden fruit, they would be like God. Tragically, Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit because they wanted to be like God. Then, they immediately realized that they had been deceived. They didn't become like God. Instead, they became afraid of God, and they hid from Him. And, and the child will destroy the serpent and reverse all the bad effects of sin and death. And the child will return humanity back to paradise and so this promised child is there for the hope of all humanity. So the question is, who is this promised child? Well, the Old Testament gives us several hints. The promised child will be a descendant of King David of Israel, 
And this son of David is referred to as the Messiah, a Hebrew word that means the anointed one. And translated into Greek, he is called the Christ. So the Christ or the Messiah will be the king. And he will be the king who will sit on David's throne forever. And to be a forever king would suggest that the Messiah would live forever. And this means that the Messiah is more than a human being. And elsewhere in the Old Testament, there are strong hints that the Messiah is God himself. And God himself who will come in the flesh. God will take on human nature and live among his people. And he will deliver humanity from sin, from judgment, and from death. So this sounds unbelievable. It is unimaginable that God will come in the person of the Messiah to save the world and restore it back to paradise. Yet it is true. And it is the best news for humanity. So how will the Messiah be recognized when he does show up? Are there ways by which we can identify him? Well, fortunately, again, the Old Testament has given us clues. Besides being a descendant of King David, there are two other clues about the Messiah that relates to his birth. One, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. And this was what the Old Testament prophet Isaiah prophesied. He said, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. So in other words, the Messiah will only have a biological mother. He will not have a biological father because the Messiah will be conceived miraculously by the power of God. Now, the other clue about the Messiah's birth is this. He will be born in Bethlehem. And this prophecy was told by the prophet Micah, a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah, and they both lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. And this was what Micah, Micah said. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, a king, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So notice that Micah mentioned that the origins of the, of the Messiah is from ancient times, means that he is from right from the beginning. That means the person of the Messiah already existed before he was born as a man. And so this confirms that the person of the Messiah is God himself. God would take on human nature and live among his people. And this is a mystery. And the theological word for this mystery is incarnation. When God entered human history as a man. 
Now the question for us is that, is this incarnation possible? Well, with God, it is possible. Of course, skeptics dismiss the incarnation as a myth. And they dismiss the whole idea of the virgin birth as a fairy tale. But the ancient historian, Luke, who lived around the time of Jesus, tells us that the incarnation is a true story that took place in history. So turn with me now to Luke chapter 2. We will look at verses 1 to 18. Now, as a reputable historian of his time, Luke has undertaken to write an account of the life and the works of Jesus based on eyewitnesses so that others may know with certainty that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised child, the promised serpent crusher. Luke, therefore, carefully records the historical setting of Jesus' birth. He mentions the name of the governor of Syria at that time, Quirinius. He mentions Caesar Augustus, perhaps the greatest Roman emperor. Quirinius. Caesar Augustus, they were real people in time and space. And so the birth of Jesus was a real event that took place in history. And Luke tells us that Caesar Augustus has ordered an empire-wide census, and we are familiar with census. So every man has to go to their hometown to register. And now Joseph and Mary have been engaged to each other, but they are not yet married. And Joseph belongs to the line of David, and so will return to Bethlehem, the ancestry town of David. And he brings Mary with him to Bethlehem, because she is now heavily pregnant, and Joseph wants to be present when the child is born. Now, Joseph knows that the child is not his. And he also knows that Mary has not been unfaithful. And Joseph knows that nine months earlier, Mary was a virgin when by the power of the Holy Spirit, she was chosen to be the mother of the Messiah. And so was fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies that a virgin would give birth to a son in Bethlehem. And Mary wraps baby Jesus in swaddling cloths and places him in a manger, a feeding trough for animals because there is no guest room available. And so this is the humble and obscure beginning of the Messiah. The Messiah who is the forever king whose origins are from ancient times. So at his birth, Jesus has no proper cot even to lay his head. And even as an adult, Jesus would tell his followers that he has no comfortable place to lay his head. So what does this tell us? Well, this tells us that Jesus has come not to be served like worldly emperors or worldly kings. No, Jesus has come 
in humility to serve all mankind. You see, in his humility, Jesus would be obedient to God to go to the cross to die for our sins. And Jesus would give his life as a ransom for you and for me to purchase us, to set us free from sin and death and to reconcile us to God. And so it is at the cross that Jesus will crush the serpent. And that is why there is a great rejoicing in heaven that the serpent crusher has finally been revealed after centuries, just as what God had promised. And this rejoicing is shared with some nearby shepherds who are the first people to be told of Jesus' humble birth. And allaying the shepherds' fear, an angel announces to them that he has come to bring good news of great joy. And he says, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And the shepherds are then told that they will find the promised child lying in a manger. And at that very moment, the angel is joined by a heavenly host of other angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favour rests. And after the angels have gone, the shepherds rush to Bethlehem and they find Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus, just as the angel had told them. They then spread the word about the birth of the promised child. And verse 18 tells us that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Now, brothers and sisters and friends, I hope that this morning you too are amazed. You are amazed at what the shepherds heard and saw. And I hope that in your amazement you will rejoice that God has fulfilled his promise. That God has fulfilled his promise to send the serpent crusher in the person of Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus the Messiah has indeed destroyed the works of the serpent by setting humanity free from sin and free from death and from judgment. You see, by his death on the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. And he died the death we deserve. And our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God. By his resurrection, Jesus gives us eternal life. And he gives us his Holy Spirit to live the holy life that is pleasing to God. That doesn't mean that we will be perfect, but it means that we will want to fight sin in our life. And it means that we want to be more and more like Jesus. And so if you do not yet know Jesus, 
My prayer is that you will seriously consider his claim, consider Jesus' claims. Jesus claims to be the saviour of the world. And that was what the angel told the shepherds. And the saviour has been born. You see, the world needs to be saved from injustice and from violence. The world needs to be saved from wars and conflicts, from corruption and from the brokenness we see around us. And Jesus has come to do that. One day, Jesus will return as the forever king to restore this broken world. He will abolish all violence and injustice. He will right all wrongs. And he will reign with justice. He will reign with equality. And he will reign with righteousness. And on a personal level, Jesus will save you and save me from the coming judgment of God. On the last day, we will escape God's wrath. Because on the cross, Jesus had already taken that judgment on our behalf. And therefore, we go free. And so this is God's goodness and his kindness and his mercy to us. Now, Jesus not, will, not only will save us from God's judgment, but he will also give us peace in this life. That was what the angels sang about. Remember, they sang, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So those who believe in Jesus are those who will have peace. So when you and I put our trust in Jesus, we will have peace with God. We will have peace with one another. And we will have peace within ourselves. We will have peace with God because we are now reconciled to God, because Jesus reconciled us to Him. Before knowing Jesus, we hide from God. We want to have nothing to do with God. We ignore God. But having known Jesus, we now confidently address God as our good and loving Father in heaven. Now we will also have peace with one another because we are now ready to forgive others. You see, in Jesus, we have received the grace of God. God has forgiven us. And we are therefore, we therefore want to forgive others, even if we have been badly hurt. And you know what? In forgiving others, we discover that there is healing. And we become more gracious. We become less bitter. And we become more loving. So lastly, when we put our trust in Jesus, we will have peace within ourselves. Because we belong to Jesus and we can find rest. We can find our rest in Him. But we know that many people are not finding peace within themselves. And we know this because mental health issues have become more and more common than ever before. 
young and old, they are restless. They are stressed out at home and at work. They are anxious about the present and they are nervous about the future and they have no certainty of any kind of hope. And this is because they have been told to create their own hope. You see, the world has told us this thing and this is a lie. The world tells us we are our own. We belong to ourselves. And so no one can tell us what to do. And we decide what is right, and we alone decide what is wrong. And we do what we want. We do what our feelings tell us to do. And we therefore have to create our own meaning in this life. And we have to create our own identity. And we have to create our own destiny. But we human beings have limited capacity. We are not gods. And we often get confused about our identity. And we are lost searching for a lasting meaning in life. And death makes a mockery of all that we want to do and all that we have done. And we therefore despair. We despair even of life. But friends, we need not despair. When we put our trust in Jesus, we are not our own. We do not belong to ourselves but we belong to Jesus. And Jesus is Lord, as the angel said. Lord is the Old Testament name for our God. And so therefore, as God, Jesus will care for us and he will love us to the end. As our creator and as our Lord, Jesus gives us our identity. We don't have to create one ourselves. He gives us our identity. Jesus gives us our purpose. We don't have to find for a, look for a meaning in life. He gives us meaning in life. And our destiny is in the new world to come. A new world that, where there will be no more death, no more tears, and no more pain. And in the new world, there will only be life, eternal life, with pleasures forevermore in the presence of God. And all this has become a reality because of Christmas. And we celebrate Christmas because the promised child is Lord. The promised child is the Messiah. And the promised child is the Saviour. In him, we have rest, we have peace, and in him, we have eternal life. And this is the reason we want to share the joy of Christmas with everyone, so that everyone can put their trust in Jesus. So will you put your trust in Jesus? I hope you will. Let us pray.
Lord Jesus Christ, the prophets foretold of your coming. The heavens celebrated your birth. Your church praises you in every language, for we have seen your salvation and we have known the joy of your peace. So, Heavenly Father, make us your holy people. Give us generous hearts to love you and to love our neighbours and produce in us an abundant fruit of righteousness for your glory and through the power of your Spirit. Amen.